And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Transfer the offseason is officially upon us. Yes, the Canucks have been in offseason mode for a while, but we have a Stanley Cup champion, a new Stanley Cup champion. The Colorado Avalanche lived up to expectations finally and got over the hump. They were clearly the best team in the league all season, clearly the best team in the final, a much-deserved champion. Wow, they were good. So good. Incredible. And yet, (laughs) one of the funniest stats... Of the postseason, you know, I I think like the stat that tells you a lot, in my view anyway, is if you look through all goalies that played at least 10 games in the postseason, Darcy Kemper finishes ahead of only Jacob Markstrom. Six of seven to play at least 10 games, (laughs) right? Like, pretty ridiculous. Um, You know, you consider 30 goalies played in the postseason. Darcy Kemper's save percentage out of 30 ranks 18th. <laughs> well, like, we knew that, right? I mean, we knew this team's talent was going to have to overcome its goaltending. And it's not that Kemper was horrific. No, Kemper did his part. You know, he. but there was a bad goal a game in most cases. The last one, I don't know that you really blame him on that goal. It no, was Vasilevsky. Vasilevsky probably wants the first goal back, right? Mm-hmm. He had more than enough time to track it, and it got in short side. So the, the pressure, though, that the Colorado Avs put on... In at the start of that second period, where it was just like icing, icing, and it just felt like Tampa couldn't get a change, and they were generating chances at will. I mean, I thought that was an impressive display of power, even though, yeah, maybe Vasilevsky would want that back. But when you look at it, you know, I mean, uh, Kemper did just enough. He certainly wasn't the reason, but he didn't cost him, and it just shows you, uh, like, just how good Colorado is, right? I mean, like one through eighteen. Uh, when you look at how this team was constructed, and they're really a case study for Vancouver because, you know, 
1617, they finished last in the NHL, and so much has been made about that. The core pieces were still there, right? They still had McKinnon. They still had Landeskog. You know, obviously, Kale McCarr wasn't there quite yet. No. Nope. They had some key pieces to that team that were there at that time, and they were able to add. They were able to make some shrewd moves, four key acquisitions at the deadline this year, because yep. you don't think a cup contender, a legitimate cup contender, which they were before the deadline, would have had to make that level of a volume of moves. But they certainly went all in at that point. I but mean, I think, you know, I think you do have to. I think you do have four? to. I think you have to make a significant change to win a cup at the deadline at this point. And the reason really? is... I do, yeah, because there are players that are valued a little bit differently at the deadline that that you can get like it's an opportunity to buy and i think it's key to buy in a way that extends beyond rentals right like you know brandon hagel is a really good example of of the tampa bay lightning using a team selling at the deadline to acquire a piece that helps bolster them for the run but also he's got two years left at just over one million he's gonna be a top six forward for them for the next two years um, you know, Arturi Lekkinen is another really good example. He's an RFA this year. He's not going to be affordable, but he's going to be a top six forward for them. Like he's going to be a key part of what allows them to replace at least one of Kadri and Nerchushkin when those guys level up their salaries this summer. So, you know, but I think you have to buy at the deadline at this point, at this juncture, because there's a variety of pieces that you can get. You can get teams to retain at the deadline, particularly when you're talking about expirings. Um, and, and just the way that the hard cap system works, it's just too hard to go into a season with 25 really good players that fit against the cap. You kind of need to get into the season, you know, manage your cap if you can. Like if you're able to toll daily space, great. If you're not, then the ability to retain, the ability to, you know, I think rejig your lineup. Like, I think that's a must do these days. I don't think you can win a cup without making some aggressive moves at the deadline and, and, you know, ideally non rental moves, but rental moves too. You look at Josh Manson, Nick Paul as, as good examples on both sides. Um, you know, I, I do think you need to be able to change up what you're doing a- ahead of the deadline. Yeah. And I certainly think that when you, when you go through that process, you realize at the trade deadline, who your team really is. And it might be good enough to get through a regular season, but it's not necessarily good enough to go on a deep playoff run. And there are specific pieces that every team seems to have when they get to that point. And does your team have that uh, in that moment, no matter how good the regular season looks? I mean, you go back to 2011 and the Canucks, you know, start to finish were the best team in the league, but they still felt the need to, you know, go get Max Lapierre, to go get Chris Higgins, right? To, to fortify. And thank goodness and cert- they did, right? Yeah, no question, right? And, you know, you also know that you're going to need a certain level of depth to get through the playoffs. But, you know, do you have that final piece, you know, on a penalty killing unit? Do you have that grit piece to completely flesh out your third line, which isn't going to expose or get exposed during the regular season, but in a matchup role in the playoffs could get exposed. And, you know, when you when you see that, because we all know regular season teams are so much uh, differently built than a playoff team. Right. And, you know, when you get to... When you get to that time of year, you've got a really good indication of what it is. In the case of Colorado, you have a really good indication of where you failed in the playoffs earlier. And, you know, you're able to go out and, and get those pieces. But, you know, the point being 
is how fast they did it, right? When you look at the trade they had to make, um, you know, early on to, you know, to, to be able to net the assets that they got, right? Um, you know, it was, it was significant, again, for a team that could have just stood pat and said, nope, we're not going to make any changes. You know, we've got all the core pieces. We're not going to pa- we're not going to pass on any of those core pieces. And you know, they they didn't make that mistake. They didn't fall in love with all of their own guys. If you know what I'm saying. Well, especially in goal. And I mean, the fact is, is that the Darcy Kemper trade was not a good one for the Avs. They overpaid, but no one cares. <laughs> no one cares today that they overpaid for a guy who was just over 900 in the playoffs right? It doesn't matter. They won the cup. It worked. They needed to stabilize their goaltending after Grubauer left. They overpaid to do it. Who cares, right? Um, It's an interesting sort of wrinkle here, right? Where, you know, I think we'll look back on that trade and be like, oh boy, a first and a defender, like a pretty interesting young defensive prospect in Connor Timmins for a goalie who, you know, is fine. I mean, he's a, he's like an average starter. (laughs) who cares right the marginal upgrade of an average starter was all the avalanche needed here's uh here's some lessons let's let's do some do you you want to do some lessons from the avs for the canucks if we're if we're talking about them as an aspirational model for sure but the the trade that i was going to for example was was the matthew shane trade right well for sure so let, let me let me wrap that in a lesson and then i'll kick it back to you okay lesson one you can't be afraid to trade your best players when you're not very good. Matt Duchesne, Ryan O'Reilly are excellent players. And the Colorado Avalanche dealt them both, uh, not to mention Paul Stasny, uh, over the course of the past four or five years. And it, you know, one of those trades was great, obviously. Genius. One of those trades was terrible. But both set this team on this path. And you can't be afraid if you're, if you're not very good you cannot be afraid. You cannot deal from a position of fear in changing direction and trading some of your best players. What do you think? Yeah, I, I thousand percent agree. And that was the point I was trying to make. Like, if you're the Canucks, you 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 can't have five untouchables. You know what I mean? Like to no. to significantly change your team and to take the next step, you might have to you know scale down on that list. And so, for the sake of argument, if you know if uh, um. Thatcher Demko and Quinn Hughes are your untouchables, or, or you know maybe you throw Elias Pettersson into that list, but nobody, you know, you can't have five untouchables on a team that's this ordinary. You know what I mean? And and what can those assets net you? You can't be afraid to move on from J.T. Miller. You can't be afraid to trade Brock Besser. You know, you can't be afraid to trade Bo Horvat. And I'm not advocating for any of those one guys, but you have to look at it right. And when, when you think of the assets that were netted for them in that Matt Duchesne trade, and the Ryan O'Reilly trade may not have worked out as well, but you know, you've know you talked about it so often that what is keeping Ryan O'Reilly get you? It gets you an $8 million contract. Yep. You know, so you move on from... You move on from him, and now how how can you use that asset value, not in terms of what you necessarily net, but in terms of what you can necessarily spend on, you know, and how you can methodically upgrade that way, and how you can, you know, extend a draft pick or or what have you. But there's there's different ways to do that, and not just every asset acquired doesn't have to be f- part of the final solution. No, right? It can be an asset to get you to the final solution. Yeah, I a hundred percent. All right, so that's lesson one. We're in agreement. Here's lesson two. Go long 
on second contracts for elite players, right? Across the board, the Avalanche didn't bridge a single guy that they considered to be a high-end player, right? You think about Gerard, you think about Kale McCarr, you think about Nathan McKinnon, even though he was struggling coming off of that season, right? They bought out a ton of years. They went long. That contract, <clears throat> McKinnon at 6.3 is the reason, like the f- reasons the Avs are cup champions and, and built, were able to build the type of juggernaut they did. Reason number one, two, and three. <laughs> Nathan McKinnon makes 6.3 million against crazy, the Crazy, isn't it? At wild. But Gabriel Landeskog, too. And, and not just this contract that he's on now, but I mean... You know, his second deal was a whopper. He signed a seven year second contract. Seven per. Yeah. Seven no, seven seven year deal at five and a half million. Coming off of three entry level seasons. Now, granted, he'd won the Calder, but in the two seasons, like he then had a seventeen point season, played only thirty six games during the lockout shortened year. And then he had sixty five points. But but you know what? I think they did it before that. So after they did it the summer after he had 17 points in 36 games, they went and signed him to a seven year contract. Yeah, it's seven million per, which now looks like it. Well, sorry, that's his that's his current deal. That's oh, sorry, we're talking about his second deal. Yeah, you're right. Second deal was seven years long coming and they and they extended him early coming off a year in which he'd had a 17 point season in 36 games. (laughs) Like that's not the cup that that's not the contract they win the cup with, but that goes to show you uh, a, an aggressiveness of approach that, that paid off, that paid off for Sackick. When you have an elite player, lock him up and lock him up long-term. And Rantanen, of course, also fits in with that. So as you go through the list, you know, the Avs never bridged their best players. And then you go through the list for the Canucks and they bridged Pedersen, right? Yeah. They bridged Besser and are going to be dealing with the consequences of that this summer. Uh, they went long on Quinn Hughes, and that's good because that contract's looking great, right? Like I think Quinn Hughes for less than eight million, where we're twelve months away from pinching ourselves that that's the case. They went long on Thatcher Demko, same thing. A year into that deal, everyone's talking about it as a sweetheart contract. They went long on Bo Horvat. Bo Horvat's at five point five next season. Yeah, it's not McKinnon at six point three, but it's still Bo Horvat at five point five. Like that's still great. It's still phenomenal. Tremendously efficient, and yet they weren't disciplined enough to do that in every case. And as a result, you know, the Besser situation's going to get complicated and he's going to get more expensive. And if Elias Pettersson breaks out and does what I think he's capable of the next two years, like, oh boy, you know, that really sucks. <laughs> that's yep. that's really gonna be too bad for this team. If uh, you're not li- if you're not disciplined about going long, you limit the upside of your own best players. Like you limit the upside that your best players can provide to your own organization. And that's a way to shorten, minimize, or never even open a Stanley cup window. Well, you know, and that, and that's the case. I mean, you know, you think about uh, Colorado and how, you know, they waited 20 years and certainly the Vancouver fan base would, would be great. We could get a cup every 20 years. That'd be incredible. But, um, you know, when does the window open, right? And that's the thing right now. And let's stick with Colorado for a bit because we've got well, some time to get I've into got, the other. I've got one more. I've got okay. one more lesson. You ready? Yeah, please do. You don't need a stable of 6.5 guys on your defense core. You can win with younger, puck-moving defenders, right? I mean, Interesting. Interesting. 
this this is a team. If he was healthy, Sam Gerrard would have probably played toughs for them. Um, you know, he's f- listed at five ten, and that's a generous listing. Devin Taves did play toughs for them, six foot one, under two hundred pounds. Kale McCarr, under six foot, under one hundred and ninety pounds. Um, Bowen Byram, six foot, under two hundred pounds. Like the 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 four best defensemen on this team were built in a hybrid mold, built to move the puck, right? This was a team built on speed first and foremost, and nowhere was that clearer than on the back end and what they were able to do from the back end in terms of targeting players like that. High upside players. And and look, Bowen Byram, top of the draft pick. Kale McCarr, top of the draft pick. Gerard was a second round pick and a smart acquisition who they pretty quickly realized wasn't going to evolve into the power play quarterback stud offensive producer that he was drafted at, but he had tremendous two-way value. They just had to live with the fact that occasionally he's going to get overpowered at the net front because he's not the biggest guy. Well, does that sound familiar? Like, does that, is there, is there a certain Canucks defenseman who's very clearly better than the rest of his peers who should just be put in top minutes? I think there is like, I think there's a direct application there from a deployment perspective for how we should see this Canucks team play next year. I'd also go so far as to say that, you know, eventually, <clears throat> eventually they needed to add some heft to their back end. Well, Jack Johnson signs vet minimum contract. Josh Manson, they acquire for a third and like their fourth best prospect at the deadline. It's a, it's a rental. And obviously, Eric Johnson's just been around forever. Eric Johnson's kind of here's how I see Eric Johnson as a bad trade that the abs made. But Eric Johnson hung around so long that he just like was good. You know, like he he played for long enough that it no longer mattered that he was acquired in a terrible trade and it no longer mattered that he was a first overall pick who went ahead of Jonathan Taves and basically busted. He just became like useful. And for me, the Eric Johnson comp is like, that's the best case scenario for the Canucks with Oliver Ekman Larson. Right. Like the trade for sure was bad, but Ekman Larson's good. And if he can hang around long enough and be a bit player on a really, really good team, you know, you're never going to look back and love the deal, but that doesn't mean that he can't contribute to the next great Canucks team. So Eric Johnson to me is sort of a Oliver Ekman Larson analog. But aside from that, get fast, get smart, get skill on your back end. That's the, that's the lesson of the abs. You can win a cup that way. And can they continue to win more? And I say that because, yep, we know their, we know their core. Like McKinnon in two years is going to become an unrestricted free agent. Uh, they've got Rantanen and Landisberg still signed long term. Their defense, they're in pretty good you called, shape. You called him Landisberg. Oh, shit, did I really? <laughs> Michael Landsberg. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Gabriel Landeskog. You're, you're, uh, you're TSN through and through, my friend. Oh, my God. I can't believe I said that. <laughs> I love um, it. Gabriel Landeskog, not Landisberg. Um, <laughs> I don't even know where that came from. I do. Uh, I do. It's from your TSN days. Yeah, I guess so. My TSN <laughs> days would still exist. Still exist. Uh, oh, they'll always exist. So TSN Eric Johnson's got another year left on that deal, and then they can gracefully and comfortably move on from it. But, you know, McCarr signed long-term. Gerard signed long-term. Devin Taves, they've still got a couple of years left on him, and they're going to have to get Bowen Byron, done, Bowen Byron done to a second deal uh, pretty soon here, who's a pending RFA after next season. Um, uh, they should they should do that this summer. They should, Absolutely. But when you look, uh, how at- good was he? By the way, can we just take a sec and have some Bowen Byram appreciation? Like, we Do weren't it. even sure if this guy would play again. 
at, at various stages of the last two years. So severe were the concussion issues that he went through. Obviously, he played his hockey locally. Um, with him on the ice, with him on the ice, the Avalanche outshot the Tampa Bay Lightning 79-44 to at 5-on-5. Five five. He played more 5-on-5 five five minutes than Taves and Makar in this series, and he played more 5-on-5 five five minutes than any Avalanche defender, including Victor Hedman. And, wow. I mean... Bowen, and and I mean he was he hit a post in overtime of game five, but he he could have had or sorry game four, but he could have had like a signature moment too. Uh, it was an inch away from, and that play was beautiful, and he was a big part of it. I mean Bowen Byram is an absolute stud. Lock him in to Team Canada for years and years to come. Brilliant stuff from the young defender, and you absolutely love to see it. When we come back, we're going to get into uh, just the sustainability of both these teams, Colorado and Tampa Bay. They're certainly saying in Tampa Bay they don't have to close their window quite yet. And uh, we'll also get into potentially a pretty special day for the Canucks with the Hockey Hall of Fame announcements coming, along with rumors about uh, uh, some other comings and goings in Vancouver. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So as we got through the numbers here, again, knowing, Drancer, that the core is intact for Colorado... There's still some heavy lifting for them, but they've still got the room to do it given the bulk of their contracts. You know, you can you can debate Miko Ranton in at 9.5 per or 9.25 per, but everything else is not onerous, right? Like they have got room to not only keep the players they've got, but potentially upgrade in some areas. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of cap space there, right? A uh, 26-ish million in cap space depending on how you calculate, you know, like Lucas Sedlak and Alex Newhook being on the roster or not, I'd expect Newhook will be. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a lot of space to do a lot of things. Uh, Lekkinen is an RFA. Kubel, Obey Kubel played really well for them until he dropped the cup. He's a RFA. Um, so, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of there's a ton of flexibility. They basically got their entire elite core locked up for next season. It's going to be not stri- not simple, but certainly straightforward. They're going to be able to restock their books or restock restock their roster without making any arduous moves that cost them future assets. Right? Like it's just going to be about do we want to resign this guy or not? Okay, how do we replace him? Okay, let's do that. And they're going to have families love to live in Denver. <laughs> like it's a desirable place to play. Players love to win cups. They love to have a chance at winning a cup. They're going to be very well positioned and presumably well positioned to get bargains 
should some pretty important players for them, whether it's Kadri, whether it's Kemper, whether it's Nachushkin, end up walking in unrestricted free agency? Yeah, I think it might be hard for them to keep Kadri, but when you, you know, this is the team that... I'd be surprised if they even try, Farhan. Yeah, you're probably right. Like, you've got Logan O'Connor, you've got Alex Newhook, you've got JT Comfer. I'd I'd wager heavily that they'll bring back Helm. And, you know, I mean, maybe you re-sign Nico Sturm. I mean... Helm at 35, hey, you think they'll go there? Why why not? I mean, if it's a one-year deal, I don't see why not. You know, know, and that's the point, right, is that... You know, you can get a player like that, a useful player like that at a low number. You know, Tampa Bay can get Corey Perry. Um, you, you can get guys like this that still have value, that have value throughout your lineup, but you can pay them like a fourth liner. Why? Because they want to play with you because they know you're a contender. And right. if they're if they're desperate for a cup before they retire, you're the place they can go to get it. Totally. And so there, there really is an inherent advantage with just being good. Yeah, you, advantages you, accrue to the teams that are well run like you want to understand why there's not that much parity why parity is a lie why anything can't happen you want to understand why (laughs) it's that advantages accrue to the teams that are well managed and like the divide right now in the nhl isn't between teams that you know can spend outside the cap like it's it's there are there are card counters at this table there are card counters and there are whales and the Avs have for a couple of years here, well, really for five years, like ever since the WA experiment failed and Joe Sackick reoriented his organization around some really sharp people, um, you know, they, they've been card counters. The Tampa Bay Lightning have been card counters for 15 years, 15 years, and advantages accrue to the teams that behave in that manner, that are smarter, more efficient than everyone else. And it's up and down the organization. Like I loved that 1.2 million that uh, that Jeff Vinnick, the Tampa Bay Lightning o- owner, donated by way of giving $5,000 to every full-time employee with the Tampa Bay Lightning to donate to a local charitable cause of their of their um, pick, yep, right? And it's like, it's like, what a team, you know, first of all, you, you can sniff at the, you can be cynical and sniff at like, what, what's 1.2 to a billionaire? Like, whatever. I mean, I, I don't have time for 1. that. 1.2 he doesn't have to give. Yeah, I don't have time for looking at the world through that lens. Yeah, me neither. It's it's the cultural, it's the cultural impact of that type of buy-in that comes from that type of gesture. Um, you know, this is a team that won their first cup with zero playoff home dates. Right? They won their second cup with restrained playoff home dates until the third round. This is the first real playoff run, and they've basically donated like a home games worth of revenue directly out of the owner's pocket in a way that brings the team together and makes everyone feel like they were part of this. I mean, it's genius. And and it's not just generous. It's also the type of thing that perpetuates an organization that just keeps nailing it. Like, every day they keep nailing it. They get it right on every little detail. And you have to. You have to in a hard-capped league to win. Uh, people will talk about the tax rate or or the whatever. and And it's not a disadvantage by any means, but it's not the whole story. It's not even close to the whole story. People will talk about Kucherov on LTI. And it's like the lesson of Kucherov on LTI is that this organization is the best in the league at marshalling every facet of their organization into the service of being great, of winning. And that's why they've been to three straight cup finals. That's why they won 11 playoff rounds in a row. That's why they took a team like Colorado that was plainly better than them to six games and, and, you know, made them work for it every step of the way.
Yeah, and when you look at when you look at where they're at cap wise in terms of significant pieces, you know Andre Palat uh, matters, Nick Paul matters uh, in terms of guys that are going to be uh, pending UFAs. You know Riley Nash is in there, but you know I, I don't know that that's significant. Palat's impossible. You can't lose Palat. Uh, you have to find a way, but I don't know how you find a way. Yeah, I don't know either because they are going to be right up against it. And then uh, Yan Ruda, as far as the defensemen go, they've still got six guys that are under contract, uh, but you don't you don't have um, uh, you don't have Yan Ruda, but you know, Vasilevsky, 27 years of age, still signed long-term. You know, like the core of what they're doing, if they can get something somehow worked out with Palat, like, you know, I don't know who you sacrifice to make that work. I don't know that there's much there that you can move off from. What do you think? They're in tough. They're in tough. The, this is, um, they're, they're, you know, the thing about the Tampa Bay Lightning is you know they're going to figure it out. Like, they, they replaced a third line composed of top six players really effectively at both the deadline and in free agency. I mean, all things considered, like it's not like they managed to bring in players as good as Gord Coleman and um, Barkley Gaudreau, but how could you? You can't turn around and do that well enough. But when you look at like Ross Colton's legitimately really good. So they had one guy who replaced internally, but Pierre-Edouard Belmar, Corey Perry were both cheap veteran signings, right? Brandon Hagel, I thought that trade was brilliant, even though it was two first round picks. Um, I thought that was exactly what they needed to, to you know, take a crowbar that, that might open up this cup window, you know, a couple years beyond. Uh, I think they're really going to be headed for some pain next summer because next summer you've got Sergeyev up, Cernak up, Anthony Sorelli up and Ross Colton all up. Now, they're all RFAs, but that's that's going to be really tough with only Kalorn expiring. Uh, I, you know, there's, 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 they're going to face some tough choices, uh, with some of those players. Um, you know, beyond that, you've got Stamkos expiring and that helps a bit, I guess, except that you can't really live without Stamkos either. So, uh, yeah, but he's team, expiring at the right time, right? He'll be 34 when he expires. Yeah. Well, cause they, I mean, I actually think they bridged Stamkos as I recall five year yeah. deal. So a long bridge. They they did a long bridge with Stamkos. Which is tough to do at that age still. Totally. Well, right? the, the, their brilliance with Stamkos was that they leaked nothing. They were comfortable letting him explore his options. They just they never changed their offer. They just bided their time. And once he decided that he wasn't interested in what the mayor of Toronto was selling, um, <laughs> you, you know, you? He, resi- he, he resigned. Well, literally, he met with no, John, to- John Tory, right? Um well, and once he resigned, like Victor Hedman's long-term 7.875 deal was done immediately. And they were locked into this cap structure that was highly favorable, highly advantageous. If Braden Point's healthy, I mean, this team's still really good. This team's still really good. I think they're going to be good again next year, but their path toward being at this level is not not as straightforward. I think they're... You know, if they're going to keep plot, they're probably going to need to make a tough decision on one of their RFAs proactively. I don't see them doing that. So I, I think it's going to be hard for them to keep plot. And then they have to replace a really important piece, like a top line caliber player, um, you know, on the cheap. And that that's not easy. The, 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 the Tampa Bay Lightning's route toward being in this spot again is far more arduous than the one that Colorado faces this offseason. All right, let's uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, let's get into the Canucks and um, just uh, some great news potentially coming here as far as Daniel and Henrik Sedin are concerned and uh, some rumors around them about what's coming up 
as we head deep into the offseason. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So let's look at the Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, we debated at what point Daniel and Henrik would get into the Hall of Fame if both were worthy candidates, if they were first ballot guys. But it certainly looks like it's going to happen, that they're going to be announced into the class of 2022. Looks good on them. I mean, there should be no doubt, right? Well, there were many that doubted whether individually they were as good as their collective narrative, right? Um and, you know, for us in, in Vancouver, it becomes so difficult and it's probably easier for you to uh, detach because you're such a, a, you know, a numbers guy. For me, it's difficult to detach from who they are as people. And that's not what the Hall of Fame is for. That's why you retire jerseys, even though Pavel Burry got it. Um, that's not what you do that for. Right. So it, it is for on ice excellence. And it looks like both players are going to go in in their first year of eligibility. And, and what are you basing that on? I'm just basing it on uh, news I've uh, received from uh, our people at TSN. You think they're in. What about Lou? Uh, I haven't seen what the future is for Lou for this year. Interesting. Interesting. Well, anyway, uh, most of our listeners will be listening to this after the Hall of Fame class of 2022 is announced. The Twins should be there. Here, I mean, here's the long and the short of it. There's only one forward who ever won the Hart Trophy who's not in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> like, there's only one. Um, and it was Tommy Anderson who won the Hart Trophy for, you know, one of the seasons he played for the Brooklyn Americans. Um, you know, I mean, whatever. He was uh, the most valuable player uh, in 1942. For a team that missed the playoffs uh, during during the war, like right after that season, Tommy Anderson enlisted in the Canadian Army and went to fight in Europe. Um, that's the only guy. That's the only guy, Farhan. Would it have been and possible what, and, to put in one without the other? No, no, it would be. That would be a. a I just. It doesn't make sense. Like. Though, you know, it's the same thing with the Lindsay, like everyone who's ever won the Lindsay isn't going to is in the hall and, and will be in the hall because if you are the best player in hockey for a season as voted by your peers, you're, you're almost surely hall of fame worthy because you don't just like show up, have one great season and never do it again. Sure. You know, like to, to achieve that level of greatness requires more. And in the twins case, they were also extremely durable, um, extremely productive throughout their careers. Their career numbers would be even better. I think if they'd gone, you know, to a situation where they were utilized uh, more heavily earlier on, um, you know, the twins like didn't play PP one until they were like 25. <laughs> like that's a huge um, that's massive context that needs to be viewed uh, appropriately in adjudicating their career stats. They're they're no doubters. They're no doubters. I, I think any argument against them is one that leans too heavily on career point totals and fails to account for the context of how good relative to their peers players were for a various stretch of time. Like this comes back to my Nasland over Linden argument, right? Like Nasland was the best 
uh, for uh, offensive forward in hockey for a four year stretch. Like for me, you know, that makes him the you know, uh, until the twins, uh, the greatest Canuck. Like he, no other Canucks forward had ever hit that type of level. Well, until Henrik and Daniel did it. And when Henry, Henrik and Daniel did it over a three or four year stretch, like they were outperforming some of the best players we've ever seen. You know, it, like if you go from, let's say, the 09-10 season through the end of when the team was winning President's Trophies, so 11-12, right? A three-year stretch. If you go through that stretch and sort all NHL forwards by points, like Henrik's one, Daniel's five um, in the NHL over that period. And that's with, you know, like ahead of Steven Stamkos, who had, you know, 156 goals in 246 games. It's ahead of Alex Ovechkin at the absolute apex of his powers, right? Joe Thornton, like, it's incredible. Well, incredible during, what these guys did. During their career, like for the 18-year span of, of their careers, Henrik is fifth in scoring, and Daniel is seventh. During an 18-year stretch. Right, and, but, but who are, do you know who number one, two, and three are? Go ahead. Crosby, Ovechkin, Jumbo Joe, Jerome McGinley. Never That's heard of it. him. Never heard That's of him. That's it, bud. That's it. And then Marion Hosa wedged between the twins, which actually kind of feels fitting because Marion Hosa's incredibly cerebral. And Hosa's in the Hall of Fame. Yep. You know, like all of these guys are Hall of Famers. Martin St. Louis is in the Hall of Fame. Like, what's the argument for St. Louis and not the twins other than cops? All true. All true. You yeah. know? So, so good on them. Uh, beyond worthy. Um, <laughs> no doubters. There were no doubters. We'll anyone do, who was we'll anyone have, who was doubting it was off the rocker. That like people occasionally would be like, "Will you write why the twins should be in the Hall of Fame?" I'd get that from VIPs occasionally, and I was like, "No, because I'm not going to pretend it's a conversation." You know, and and by the way, if Lou doesn't go in too, that's ridiculous. I Lou agree. needs to go in. Yeah, Lou well, needs to go in, and if he doesn't get in on the first ballot, ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous. I can't argue with you. And uh, we'll have to do a segment just on Luongo's contributions uh, to the Vancouver Canucks when we uh, do this again next week. Let's get into some Canuck rumors. And um, uh, on 32 Thoughts, I know that uh, that Elliot and Jeff Merrick were just talking about the JT Miller situation and how, like, I don't know how you don't think this is headed to a trade. Uh, do you see it the same way? I don't necessarily. But I think if I was handicapping it, I think uh, I think I'd be... Like, what release would surprise you more? JT Miller signs, you know, $60 million contract extension with Canucks or Canucks trade JT Miller for XX and X, Y, and Z. What what release would surprise you more if it, you saw it in your inbox tomorrow? Uh, if $60 million was the number, that would surprise me more because okay. I think he's going to be at least eight times eight, so he's going to be above 64. Um, sure. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean... So there you go. I don't know if you were trying to frame the question as a discount contract versus just throwing out any random number in the sixties. Yeah, so. I was one hundred percent. So that's seven and a half million. Right? Yeah, like, I don't. I, that would shock me. So there you go. I think that answers your question, right? Like the problem for the Canucks is that they cannot, they cannot pay everyone. Like they can't pay everyone. They're constructed like an end of window contender. Like the conversation we had about Tampa Bay kind of applies to the Canucks, except they've, you know, done it to themselves without achieving anything, which is the mess that Rutherford and company will try and pick up. And 
It's not an easy one. It's not an easy task ahead, and it's going to demand some pain, in my opinion. It's going to demand some really tough decisions. And the JT Miller one is a decision that should make this organization sick to the stomach. Yeah, but it could make them better. Like, it could be their Matt Duchesne decision. I agree. I think think that's where this goes. But there's also a world where JT Miller becomes foul-mouthed Adam Oates now that he's a full-time playmaking centerman and produces a ton of offense for the next four or five years. And is well worth a seven point five or or even eight point eight million dollar contract, uh, you know, well into his mid thirties. Like that's also a realistic possibility. I I agree with you. Like I think the J T Miller logic requires the club to move on. I think if the goal is to win a Stanley Cup, that's where you have to go. But it's not a slam dunk for me, and it makes me nauseous. Like it makes me nauseous. This team should be set up to keep their best players. They're not good enough that they should be losing their best players because you can't have a can't afford everybody. But that's the situation they find themselves in. I I just, you know, I I just find it kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, it certainly is. But, um, you know, like these are the decisions that have to be made, right? Yep, they do. Um, Take me through. uh, Let's see. What else have we got? Brock Besser doesn't sound like it's anywhere close right now. Yeah, it's early. These are you still view it as early. Yeah, these are negotiations like when you're negotiating to tight deadlines, I still view it as early. Now, I think you ideally want to get the contract done before July 2nd because the one card you have is the team club elected arbitration card. Now, even if Besser's camp doesn't believe you'll play it, right, it's a it's a piece of favorable leverage that the Canucks have in their favor that expires this weekend. This upcoming weekend, it's gone. And so ideally, you'd like to avail yourself of it to try and, you know, get a team friendly settlement. I also laid out. Did you see the did you see uh, at the athletic? We have a, a piece up today. What does a perfect offseason look like for the Canucks? And our and our take on Miller, for example, was, you know, not trade him necessarily, but be proactive. It's either a team friendly extension or it's a trade. You have to make that decision this summer. You have to make it ideally before the market opens on the 13th. Like that, be proactive and be proactive on Horvat too. The same logic applies to Horvat. Team friendly extension, or you gotta, or you gotta move on. You gotta monetize. That's that's our view of both players, both circumstances. But you don't and, think there's less stress in Bo Horvat? Like he may not carry the same cachet. There may be more loyalty there. You may be able to take a little more time in that one. Or do you think it's got to be done in the same so- timelines because they both have the same amount of you know years and are in the same status at the end of it all? I mean, you can grind away a bit, but you have to have a really good sense that it's going to get done and it's going to get done at a number you're comfortable with. You know, like you don't have to have it done on the 13th. It doesn't have to be announced the day the market opens, but I think you have to have a good, good sense of where it's going. And uh, before there we- has to be progress and and there there must be because we've heard nothing about it. Uh, you know, like yeah. it's such a quiet one. There's been no conversation, no chatter, no trade speculation, nothing around this guy. Well, that tells me that something's up because this market never stops chattering. So true. <laughs> like that's like, and you're leading the chatter, and, and you haven't started any between you and Dollywall. Uh, quickly before, sorry, sorry. Let me come back. Let oh. me come back to Besser really quick, really okay. quick. I laid this out. I laid this out at the Athletic because the one one advantage that the Canucks have is you pay your way out of the Besser mess that that this new management group has inherited. The structure of the deal that I've suggested in that piece is eight million. For Besser for the first year, six and a half for the year two, five and a half for the second year. Comes in at a six point six six seven million dollar AAV, right? And 
you pay it all in signing bonuses. So seven and a half in the first year, five and a half the second year, four and a half million in signing bonuses the last year. And all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you can accept your qualifying offer and you have no security and you'll earn that money over the next 10 months or you get 20 million in security and 7 million today. That's the way you force a settlement if you're the Canucks. You have to you have to come correct. You have to use the big market status that this club can employ uh, to their favor. That, to me, is like the settlement that makes the most sense. I, I'd love to see the Canucks get that done this week. I think that should be – I think all hands should be on deck with that being the goal, in my view. Uh, a couple of small announcements. Uh, the club just announced today that they have re-signed a couple of guys, three players to two-way deals, Sheldon Drives, who – had a few effective games with the big club, Guillaume nice. Brisebois and okay. for John Stevens. All three get two-way contracts. Interesting. So, yeah, good. Two-way contracts are good because they don't soak up your uh, your summer tagging space, right? You have to be really careful uh, doing the one-way deals because they impact your off-season cap, mm -hmm. which you can exceed by 10%, but, you know, things can get wobbly if you're not pretty careful. Um, you know, I don't really understand some of those. Like, I... Guillaume Brisebois, I feel like, is um, probably not worth the contract slot at this point. But there's parts of his game that I that I like. Like, I think he's a sturdy guy and, by all accounts, a good human being. So perhaps the team likes him for culture reasons. Uh, and good on John Stevens for earning his second consecutive NHL contract. Guy played, like, four years in the AHL without between NHL deals. Um, but he's grinding it out. He's become a really useful face-off guy. He was a top-line center for, for Abbotsford last season. Um, nice to see him continuing uh, to get rewarded for being, by all accounts, a really hard worker and a guy we could even see some NHL uh, games out of, you know, in the future. And then Dries, I, I actually really like Dries. Like, I think Dries can, if Dries is your 13th forward, I think you're totally, you should be totally comfortable with that. I, I was really impressed with him toward the end of the season. I thought he was full value in that cup of coffee. Yeah, no, I think he did some good things and certainly has proven that uh, when he's here, he's going to belong. Uh, if, if in fact, you shouldn't be here on a daily basis, but uh, certainly a guy that is, is a good depth piece in the organization. That is it for us for this episode of the VanCast. Uh, at this point, we're not going to be back this week, uh, depending on you know what news there might be before the end of the week. But uh, getting into July after the long weekend, we are, we're hoping to get back to two a week. We're hoping oh, to get we're, to we're back. We're we back. We are back to two a week, and you know we'll get into a free agency. We'll get into the draft, all of that, uh, in a much more in-depth way, twice a week. And, uh, and Farhan, I know I, I know I dropped the ball on Kuzmenko, but we're now into emergency podcast uh, circumstances. Oh yeah, if, any, if they do if they do anything significant, we'll we'll be there. I don't know that Luongo Hall of Fame necess necessitates an emergency pod. Probably not, especially because we talked about it. Yeah, exactly. But as far he as should be in, though, he should be in. As far as trades are concerned or anything like that, we will definitely be here to service the VIPs. So thanks for listening to the show. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Do not forget to leave a rating and a review. If you're looking for other podcast options, Ian Mendez and Haley Salvi and recap the Stanley Cup final. They look ahead to a busy offseason in the NHL on Monday with the Athletic Hockey Show. And hey, you can get subscriptions right now to The Athletic for just a dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast. We'll be back. Stay tuned.